please give a massive welcome to the 2023 T2 Leadership Retreat to Sir Dave Brailsford. Dave, welcome. Thank you very much. You know, I created Team Sky, having worked in the Olympic programme, and, and um, I, I was a very keen, young, naive cyclist when I was sort of 19 or so, growing up in Wales. And, and for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, cycling, you know, the idea, I think, I think it's because it's a tough sport. It's, it requires sacrifice. If you're good, you're good. If you're not good individually, you're not good. You can't rely on your team to be okay, you know. And I like team sports, but I like races. So I like, you know, there's a difference between our portfolio of teams, for example. You've got team sports and racing sports. And, and whilst there's, you know, there's a lot of common denominators of how we get good at each one. But actually, they're, they're fundamentally, a race first across the line isn't quite the same as a team sport, you know. Anyway, so great team Sky came to, came to its natural end, really. I think it was dim diminishing returns, really, for Sky at the time. Um, so we said, OK, well, we're going to end it. And thought, shall we sell it? Should we carry on? Should we do something else? You know, we weren't sure what to do. Um, so we thought, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a go because obviously, I, you know, there's probably 120 people. So he didn't want to just say, see you later. Um, and then I met Jim, randomly met Jim in a Colbert cafe in, uh, in, in Sloan Square. You, you randomly met a billionaire in a cafe. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did, actually. It, it, was very, <laughs> yeah. it was a friend of a friend, you know, it was one of those. And you think, yeah, it's not, you know, what? it's never going to happen, you know. <laughs> and, and, um, and what I... When I met him, what I, what I liked and I like in this country a lot, even though I don't live here anymore, there is no doubt for me that the British Olympic system, which started off in 1997 with, lot with the advent of lottery funding, um, and each one of the governing bodies at the time uh, were asked to write a 12-year business plan. So, you know, a number of Olympiads, 12-year uh, business plan, how can you get your sport to get the most medals possible um, over that period of time? And, you know, which, which, which was, that, that really wasn't happening anywhere else in the world. And, everywhere, you know, they're all very much amateur governing bodies. And British Cycling, for example, if you got selected for Ride for Great Britain before this, before the lottery funding, um, you know, you get a jersey, and spare tyre, whatever, an inch, inner tube, off you go and do your race. And they'd want the jersey and the spare tyre inner tube back if it didn't puncture. It was that kind of level of operation. So all of a sudden, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the governing bodies were given, you know, significant sums of money to run programmes and slowly but surely you know the the central body which is UK sport as a as a, a, a condition of funding made sure that everybody fed back into the middle so all the performance directors of which I was one um, we had to get together and we had to share ideas and slowly but surely they morphed you know the best practice of everything into a quite a, a clever sort of overall strategic plan which everybody, if you want your funding, you have to you have to write your plan on the basis of this methodology. Sorry, um, you'd go in and you pitch for the medals and, and how many athletes you could get on a, on a podium, and then you get a you know you get your your funding allocated on a sort of meritocratic system, and um, <clears throat> and it's brilliant. You know, if you look at Olympic the Olympic performance, I just gone about the Olympics, but I do love it. The the, um, the Great Britain as a nation, when you look at our demographics and you look at the GDP and you compare to other European nations and, and population, et cetera, et cetera. The Olympic table, really, you've got, you've got America, Russia and China, who statistically are out there. You know, we shouldn't be able to compete with them, really, when you look at the numbers and, and, and what they do. 
And so when we first started out, we thought the best that Great Britain could ever do, there's like a, it's a bit like the Premier League, you know, you've got top three, and then you've got about eight or nine countries who kind of fill the next spots, depending on where it's at, and home nation, and all the other kind of things. So we thought, actually, top four, fourth in the table is the best that Britain could ever aspire to do. Um, and lo and behold, they finished second. You know, and, and, and it was like, I mean, unbelievable. When you look at the numbers, you look at the stats, you dig into that, the amount of excellence that's been achieved, not just in one federation with a, you know, like a generation athlete or whatever, but across the board, the level of performance in this country in, those, in, the, in the Olympic sports is, is phenomenal, phenomenally high. And the practice and the expertise and the methodologies that exist within them now is, is world's best, is world leading. So when I met Jim Radcliffe to come back to that, my thing with him was, I said, you know, you've got this Olympic thing going on here. It runs, runs really well, but nobody's doing it in professional sport. You know, Red Bull have got some teams. There are other various other sports groups. In professional sport, though, nobody's doing the similar type of a, approach or taking a similar type of approach as the Olympic sports. And I said, I want to do that. And he, and he thought about it and said, yeah, so do I. And then eventually so he came back and he said, does that mean I have to buy a cycling team then? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> so that's how, that's how Sky became Ineos. And so he's, um, he, as you'd expect, he's, he's very intelligent, very bright, uh, venture capitalist background for a while. Then, um, uh, you know, he's got an engineering chemical background. Um, and at 40, he really started to become successful at 40, where they, they started off on an M&A um, frenzy, basically. And um, they are absolutely brilliant at merging acquisitions. And, and that's how they grow. Brilliant. Yeah. So, because <clears throat> I want to get as much in as I can, Dave. Um, and I definitely want you to share your slides with us on, on some of your high performance models that we've worked on mm. and that, um, that I've seen before. Um, Fast forward then, so you, you, you did the cycling program in, 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 in British cycling, hugely successful Olympics, mm. lots of gold medals, lots mm. of champions. Mm. Um, you were then knighted mm. as a sir. Mm. What year was this, 2012, 13? 12, yeah. 12, so on mm. the back of the uh, London Olympics. Mm. It was also the year Bradley won the very first, he was the first British winner yeah. of the Tour de France, mm. which you pioneered. Um, <clears throat> what was it like meeting the Queen and getting knighted? Embarrassing, really, because you know, I'm, <laughs> so I, 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 I'm just from I'm a normal guy from Wales, and I, you know, I was first language Welsh, did all my exams in Welsh, and, and left home to go and try and be a cyclist in, in France at 19, bike in a box, rucksack. Thought this can't be that difficult. Got to France, <laughs> got to France. I was naive, I was naive. Got to France and then realized, you know, fuck, I can't speak the language. Um, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> And, and so I went to the end of a bike race and uh, all, the, all the teams arrived and all the buses and trucks and whatever and they all arrived so I went around the car park looking for the nicest kit, the coolest kit and I just went up to them and asked them if I could race for them and they sort of laughed and, and thought, you know, you're joking kind of thing and then I got passed around the car park really and eventually one guy I think took pity on me and he said, yeah, okay, if you can get yourself to Saint-Étienne, you can train with us and so, so I did and then... Uh, I turned up and I don't think he ever expected to see me again. And he was a bit taken aback. And so then I spent three and a half years there, really. And uh, then, long story short, when, um, when I went to see, when I got knighted, you know, so I didn't expect to get knighted, to be fair. Um, a bit embarrassing. And, uh, <laughs> and, but, but when you go and get knighted, you've got to, there's, it's really, really carefully 
uh, managed, you know, so they say, right, okay, when the B of Brailsford is, is announced, you start walking along, you stop, you turn, you bow, you walk forward, you kneel, you do this and that and the other, and then as soon as you step forward, she'll say a few words, and then as soon as she puts her hand out, shake your hand, that means, right, get out of the way, go, leave. She's done, finished. <laughs> but she'll say a few words. And when I, <laughs> so I, I was so nervous because she's trying to remember what to do and all the rest of it. And, <clears throat> and I stepped forward and, and she said, um, jolly well done on uh, winning all these medals. And I thought, gee, she thinks I'm a cyclist. <laughs> and, and I thought, shall I tell her, you know, it's not actually me. I, don't, I haven't won anything, you know. Or should I just go with it? And I thought, oh, thank you very much. I'll keep trying very hard. <laughs> I just rolled with it. I couldn't bring myself to, yeah. So it's a bit embarrassing, really. Huh? Brilliant. Mm. So, so fast forward now, you, you've gone through the seventh Tour de France victories with Team Sky and, mm. uh, and Team Ineos, and you've lived on the road for the best part of a you know, decade. Mm. You're now at Director of Sport Team Ineos, working for Jim across mm. the portfolio and doing multiple different projects. So let's transition into high performance. Mm. Um, before I sort of exit and just leave you for 30, 40 minutes to talk through some of this, and then we'll wrap up at the end and do some Q&A if you're open for it, Dave. Yeah. What is high performance? Can, is there a way you can, in your mind, you would... Yeah, I think, I think so. Somebody asked me what my job is. I always say that um, if you've got somebody who's talented, and we've all got talents in different areas, so whatever it could be, it could be dentistry or legal, whatever, whatever. Everybody's got a talent. And... You know, you can, you can coach somebody or manage somebody to, to their level of talent relatively easily, I think. You know, so you don't have to be fantastic to do that. You, could, you should be good. Um, but every now and again, you get this, like, extra, like, you know, an extra level of performance. And you think, wow, okay, that's like a discretionary level of performance. And they were on a brilliant day or, wow, they're just, you know, whatever. There's loads of different words to describe that state. And our job, really, if you're working in professional sport at the elite level, is not to try and get that once in a while, but how do you get that every day? How do you get that all the time? So that extra discretionary level, when, you, when you're really at your best, how do you get that all the time or on a day when you're doing it, like the Olympic final, for a Chris Hoy who's doing a, minute, a minute's race in four years' time and you want, to, you want that one minute <laughs> to be the best he's ever done in his life, how do you do that, you know? And, and you've got to have a model for it, I think. You know, you've got to, you've got to understand, or at least when somebody asks you that question, say, well, my bit, my, that's the bit I'm trying to get at there as a professional. And, and I need to understand or at least have a, a, an idea that I can communicate to everybody about how we're going to try and do it yeah. and what are the circumstances under which that occurs uh, and when would it occur and could we make it predictable and could we increase the probability of that happening at the right, at the right moment, at the right time, in the right event, on the day you want, you know. And, yeah. um, so that's it, basically. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to leave Dave. Dave, it's green to, to go forward in your slides. But before blind, we do this, blind. we spent a, a night last night, Dave, with a Navy SEAL. And he said there's three types of times. He said there's military time, which is 15 minutes before. He said there's civilian time, which is on the hour or 15 minutes late. And he said there's Navy SEAL time, which is we finished... Th Plus or minus 30 seconds on the dot. I'll never make the Navy the, Seals. I'll put, I'll, put out there, I'll put that out there. there. Martin, I can talk, but Martin can talk. You know? <laughs> I started the Olympic programme when I was about 32, 33, when I took over, I think. And, um, and so having people from other sports 
who I can go could go and communicate about what we were doing and getting fresh views, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it's something I wanted to do, but I didn't have the personality really or the confidence actually to do it. Um, and via, but I was very lucky that this Jimmy Warrell came along. And he said, "Can you help me with my, my, with my business? We're going to do this kind of leaders and performance. Would you come and speak?" Da 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 da. I said, "Yes, okay." Um, and he's the best networker in the world. And so he kept inviting me to all of these different events. We created a little thing called P8, where all the sort of best, the leading, you know, around the world, really, the leading sportsmen. So it was Billy Bean and, I don't know, Arson and, and Pep and, you know, those kind of uh, level of, of people. Get, we get together, go in a hotel somewhere like this, close the door, and, and we just talk. You know, we, go, we tend to go around the room and go, right, um, you know, what's your latest? What is your issue at the minute? What's what's your the real pain at this moment? At this moment in time, and we go around the room, we write it all down, and we talk about it. We'll choose one of the topics, and off we go. And it and it's it's absolute. Um, it really is really really valuable. Um, and the, so the reason I'm saying that is, I've seen a lot of people talk over the years, and they prepare presentations for a talk. And I just thought I'll actually show you what I show teams rather than, you know, create something to show you particularly, as it were, so like a little insight into my world and what I do. So this this um, first bit is just about who we are, but then the rest of it is just what I would show to our teams and what I have used to our, with our teams. So this is this is in your sport at a minute. So we got we own a third of uh, Mercedes Formula One. So there's Total Wolf, uh, ourselves, and Mercedes, who own uh, the Formula One team, completely own the... Uh, Ineos Britannia team with um, with Ben Ainsley. Obviously, on the cycling team, on two football teams, um, we've got a partnership, a performance partnership. It's called with uh, Elliot Kipchoge and his team. And we did the uh, the marathon uh, sub two hours um, when he did that in Vienna. And so they came to me with that and asked me if I'd do that project. Once they started it, it wasn't going too well, and they said, "Okay." It was in March they asked me to do it. I don't I don't know a thing about like literally. I know nothing about running. I mean, I know less about running than I do about football, really. And I don't know a lot about football. Um, but actually, it's quite interesting because the fundamentals of performance actually uh, pulled together a group of people who did know what they're doing. And it was, it, was, it was among one of the most exhilarating things ever. And we got a performance partnership with the, uh, with the All Blacks in rugby. So it's a pretty cool group. And I run a programme called Ineos X, which is basically trying to get all of these teams to cross-collaborate and cross-pollinate. And in the in the Olympic teams, I was part of that. What I was just ex- described earlier, where you get um, you know you get a team on its own, it just operates on its yeah. own. But in the Olympic program, it's more like team plus team. So you get all the nutritionists together from all the different teams, all the sports meds, and all the you know the domain experts, as it were, and communities of practice, and they all share best practice. And ideally, you know, they, you know, as the tide comes in, all the boats go up as everybody learns. But I was quite interested to see if we got all the clever people on a particular pro- uh, project or a particular performance problem could you do teams times teams as it were like a bit like expon- exponential and, and that's quite interesting you know it really is and and across all of the sports platforms nobody's doing it everybody's trying this sort of collaboration type of program but it's not easy to do because a lot of collaborations waste of time so it's like you, you think oh everybody collaborates but actually it's about disciplined collaboration against a certain topic otherwise you're wasting resource time and effort collaborating with no real output coming from it the next t2 leadership retreat will take place on the 7th to the 9th of may 2024 
to book your place on the ultimate leadership development experience from the people performance people or for more information please visit www.trans2performance.com we, we, we aim to win we don't make any any we're not shy about that at all in any way shape or form we want to win um, and equally you know you can only be your best and everybody can only be the best um, but you'd like to think that somebody's best um, if you're trying to be the best in the world somebody's best should be at the level of trying to win um, so we don't try and compete we don't try and perform we, we do we do really think about setting ourselves the challenge of, of winning um, we it, it's these the, you know, this type of thing is, it's, it's really, it could be really cheesy and corny, I get it, but you've got to live these things, you know, and, and, and excellence is key, and excellence is an attitude, it is a, it's holding each other to account, it is, it is about rigour, you know, and, um, and, and grit at times, and, and being able to have the difficult conversation, pulling people up, and, and, you know, when you've got the choice and you're on your own, do you do, you do and maintain the standards that you expect on everybody else when nobody else is watching, and, you know, that, that, that's that's what you want in a group you know and i'll come on to it in a minute we like to swim against the tide we're not scared of a challenge um you know we're really not scared of a challenge and i think the in order to try and go for the the biggest targets or the biggest goals or have really bold ambition i think you've got to you've got to accept that's going to be a challenge because there'll be a lot of other people trying to stop you uh, achieving it because they want to achieve it themselves um we like manners uh we, we like to play fair um, you know, I've been accused of doping throughout my career and, and all sorts of, of, of issues, and, and we didn't, you know, and um, I know it's easy for me to say that, but we didn't. And, um, and, and manners and playing fair and, and doing it the right way um, is, I mean, push it right up to the line, but um, it's important, you know, saying thank you, um, you know, talking about marginal gains, etc., saying thank you and smiling at people, saying hello is probably the, some of the biggest marginal gains you could, you could get, you know, being polite. Um, and safety. So, um, in Ineos in particular, you know they've got all of their chemical plants around the world in, in all over, and safety is massive issue for them. Um, and, and like you know, I don't know what industries you're in, but if you're in, you know, some of the emergency industries, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, if you don't if you don't get safety right, the consequences are very very dire. And, and tends to be in Ineos if they if they make a mistake, they blow something up. It seems to be the case. So, so safety is big for all of us, and and cycling in particular is a very dangerous sport. We we, we lost a rider; somebody died a couple of weeks ago, and it's hard to get um, safety because they're encouraged to take risks going downhill. In the stage of the Tour de France, I'm going to Tour de France after this on Saturday. The, fi the, the final kind of run in to the line finishes on the top of, of Morzine. If for, for those of you who go skiing there, and they come all the way down into the valley which is ridiculous, really, because you think all these young guys are there. It's their biggest thing of the season. They get to the top, they're absolutely nailed, and they're going to take massive risks if they're just a little bit behind to try and get back to the front. You know, so safety is an issue for us, and we're taking up with the World Governing Body of Cycling for what it's worth. Um, so the challenge for all of us, really, in, um, in, in elite sport, the top end, is you know, the better we get, the harder it is to get better. Um, and particularly for, for teams who've had a period of sustained, a sustained success, you know, you know, where is that next little idea coming or how do you keep on getting better? And that's a challenge that, that, that all of us face, basically. And also, you know, there's this idea that um, if, you're, if you're one of the leading teams, as, as we were and Mercedes were, all blacks are, of course, and, and um, you know, 
you you think you're setting the sort of pace of performance how much how much is something improving how quickly is it improving but in fact you're not you know because everybody else is trying to do the same thing so what we know about you know human performance for example is moving all the time and it's moving quite rapidly in some areas and if you're not at the edge of that and on, on, at the front of that you're getting left behind you know so it's a challenge it, in a single team to stay on top of those two things is a real challenge and it's highly unlikely you're going to get that from within highly unlikely you know you'll exhaust yourself you'll exhaust your ideas you'll exhaust all human resource you've got you know so it's got to get stimulated and come from somewhere else um so into into the teams bit people say to me and it says this is really straightforward stuff but it's difficult to do it's difficult to do um so you know what are the main success factors in sports break it down it's dead easy you got the, and I guess if you're in a business environment, it was an, I guess it's not too, too different really. So you've got the, the athlete, you know, the athlete themselves, and I think um, uh, supporting them and helping them manage themselves and understand themselves is, is fundamental really. Understanding if they've got an intrinsic drive towards a, a goal or whether it's you who wants them to perform towards a goal, a very different thing, very, very different thing. So I'll, I'll only work, for example, with you know, um, with athletes who are obviously they're, they're normally talented by the time they come to us really at our level. Um, and then I'm really interested to know just how much are they intrinsically driven towards achieving the goal that we're trying to achieve and, and is there an alignment? Um, and in a lot of the teams I've, the most successful teams I've managed haven't always been the happiest places. So I'm, I figured that actually you know, team harmony is a nice to have, and it's, it's much better if you have got it. But I, sometimes, I know you've been doing teamship today, and I don't want to. I don't want to go and shoot. Uh, <laughs> but, but the reality is that for me, the um, the the team dynamic might not be perfect. The first time we won the Tour de France with Bradley. Um, Chris Froome and Bradley, they, they really hated each other. I mean, like, properly hated each other. And they both sat on a bus. Bradley was at the front, Chris was at the back. They wouldn't speak, you know. And, and, and then Mark Cavendish joined in because we wouldn't sprint for him anymore, so he fell out with everybody. And, and, and literally, out of nine riders, three of them wouldn't speak to each other. And it was, it was hard work. It was really, really hard work. However, what they did have, they had goal harmony because they all wanted the same thing. In the end, they all wanted to achieve the same thing. And as long as you're aligned, you've got alignment trying to get the goal that you want. For me, that's, that's a greater priority when, you, when you're managing teams than team harmony, as it were. You'd like to have both. But if you just work on team harmony and you've got a slight discrepancy in what an individual wants, what the team wants, somebody else wants, and that's not all aligned, you're not going to get there. In my experience, I'm going to talk from my experience. So the player, the athletes themselves, um, and it takes time for them to learn about themselves, particularly about their emotional states and emotional reactions to things and feelings towards things um, and how to manage those and how to go into an event, which is you know, very, very threatening uh, for them very threatening for them in, in many respects and to a lot of them it's not enjoyable they don't enjoy it but they're very good at it um, so how do you manage that from a psychological point of view um, and there are you know ways and means and I'm sure you've all read uh, Steve Peters' uh, chimp management I was very fortunate to, to cross Steve's path in 2002 um, we had a, an athlete who 
I got a, a call from one of the coaches <clears throat> and one of our best athletes. Um, he said, the coach said, you know, uh, athlete X has been standing in the corner of the room facing the facing the wall. They haven't slept. They haven't eaten for a couple of days and they're just standing there. What do you want me to do? You know, I was like, section him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, joking aside, you, we don't have the skills to manage that, you know. So uh, Steve came over and saw the athlete and, and did a miraculous kind of piece of work with him. And then I was so taken by what he did and him being a psychiatrist, rather, you know, medically trained seven years rather than a psychologist. Um, he was working with, at Rampton at the time with all the sort of mass murderers and, 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 and killers and psychopaths and whatnot. Anyway, I persuaded him to stop all of that and come work in sport. And in 2002, he came into sport and I sat with him and said, right, I'd like to create a model for high performance and, and using sort of particularly the human mind. And... Um, and off we went and sort of and it happened to be in cycling it wasn't how do you make a cyclist better it was how do you make a, a human uh, perform better and that's a lot of, a lot of the fundamentals of the of, of what i've applied over the years we worked on this thing called that we it was called the triangle of change and it was um it was the degree of unpleasantness if you like um or uh the reward and how psychologically minded somebody was so you've got to suffer you know, if you're going to change your behaviour, you've either got to be suffering quite a lot to change. And people do the cra most craziest things and carry on, you know. You, you know, people stay in relationships that they really don't like, which are dysfunctional, and they stay in for years. You know, but, but why? Because their suffering is not enough, essentially, if you think about it. You know, why, why haven't they changed? Everybody, I should get out of this. Well, why don't you then? Why don't you? Why are you, why are you stuck, stuck in the loop? Because your suffering is not enough. And then something will happen. They go, right, okay, that's it. I'm going to change, you know. Or the reward's got to be good enough, and so you get pulled towards something. But you've got to have the psychological mind in order to be able to recognise that actually one of those two things is happening. I, I can change if I want to change. Um, and from a, a difficult character point of view, you know, I spend time with the, the sort of those characters, and I feel there's two sides to the equation. One is if it's, um, let's use cycling, if it's related to, if there's something related to performance and let's say it's um you know we've got uh, four sets of super new wheels let's say and wheels make a big difference and there's eight riders who gets the four wheels the best rider gets the gets the first set of wheels it's, it's a meritocratic performance base best one gets the wheels nobody's going to argue with that nobody in your team's going to argue with that whatsoever that's fine if the best guy or the eager guy comes in and we're all wearing you know, we're sponsored by Adidas and he walks in with Nike trainers, you've got a problem unless you do something straight away. You've got to, that, that you've got to nail it. As, as uncomfortable it is, you, and I always use, I tend to use humour. So I'm like, oh, here we go again. You know, like, oh God, you know, Bradley spent his money on some new shoes again. Look, everybody he wants to show us, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. Brad, off you go, come change your shoes, you know. And if you don't do that, you condone it. And everybody, you might, nobody would say anything, but everybody knows that, that he's getting away with it. And so there are certain things which are performance-related where you think, okay, there's a, there's, there is a hierarchy of performance. And there are other things which are basically teamship, and team rules. And if you don't stick to the team rules, you're in trouble, you lose the team anyway. So you, you miss the performer or Mrs. Performer is not going to add much to it, even if they perform fantastically. So it's, you've got to take the character and the, the context, but they need to be managed and you've got to have, if, if, if it goes too far, 
and everybody in your team is watching you and you know that they've gone too far and you don't do anything about it, you're done on that one, really. Um, so you get rec recognition for effort as well as success. Um, I feel, again, that's, that's really, really important, you know, reward effort. So my, my daughter, when she came home from school after the exams, there was two columns, effort and then a grade. And, and to this day, I never look at the grades. I've only asked, I've said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to look at that column there and all I want to see is you've tried hard and I don't really care what a grade is. You, you'll, if you've tried hard, you, it'll be as good as you can be and if you haven't tried hard, I'm going to be pretty upset. And so I don't, I don't judge her on the grade, I judge her on the efforts and she's known that from since a young, um, a young girl. Whether that's right or not, I don't know, but I, I feel that effort needs to be rewarded. If you're trying to do something and you're not getting it right, you still get recognition for it. You know, um, so you have control and ownership of a program. So I believe in this idea of ownership. Really do believe. So we negotiate a lot with people about what they believe training programs should be. And of course, if you're in a football team and you've all got to train sort of tactically in the same way, then obviously you've got to. You, there's an element of everybody's got to do the same thing. But you know, if you can negotiate around, you know what the strength and conditioning program might be, what the rehab program might be, what the nutritional plan might be, and psych support and all the other elements. You can individualise that quite a lot. Um, and then the other side of the equation, they've got to be accountable. You know, the professional athletes, and, and we've all got to be accountable in the end. So you have to be accountable, and particularly for their progress. Are you getting better? Um, and, and their achievements in the end. So I think, you know, I'd say it for myself and everybody else I, I work with, you know, if you're working in elite sport, you expect yourself to be better. It's a given. You've got to be better this time next year than you are now, than I am. So if I come back next year, I've got to be better than I am now. And it's my job. There's nobody else's job to make that happen. My, my responsibility to make that happen. So I've got to get, make myself better or get out is, is my theme, really. And the same for everybody else. So there's a high level of accountability, um, particularly when you're trying to get better, then you've got to monitor and track progress. And everybody loves a graph that goes up. There's something very powerful psychologically about a graph that's going up that way. <laughs> Don't know why, but it, there is. Um, and then so, you know, we, are, we ask our athletes, well, you know, to be aware of their progress, monitor improvements, <clears throat> and work on a principle. You can't be better than your best, ultimately. Nobody can, you know, that, that is the best you can be. So rather than say, I know we got, the, you know, talked about winning earlier, but ultimately, you know, people can only be the best that they can be. So support staff, you know, you've got to maintain excellent work ethic standards by reviewing and um, the following things. So your level of knowledge, obviously you've got, to, you've got to get your level of knowledge, your skills, your attitude, getting peer review feedback. Now, I can't, I couldn't, you know, if there was one thing I'd take out of my career and, and say, and I do say it quite often to, to young managers and coaches and performance people is make sure you develop a peer network. It'll stand you in fantastic stead. Please consider leaving a five-star review on your favourite podcasting platform. It only takes a minute and your feedback is greatly appreciated. Reviews help other people find the show and learn about the amazing topics we cover. Additionally, please turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. And finally, please subscribe or follow the T2 Hubcast if you haven't already. Doing this means that you'll automatically receive new episodes as soon as they're released. Thanks so much for your support. I want to uh, open it up to the floor. Ask it. Gloves are off, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask Dave anything. Yeah. What questions have we got? Raise your hands if we've got a question. Thank you, Dave. That was really insightful. Um, you had some huge success over the years, but what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? I think the um, <clears throat> probably 
the first year of Team Sky was, was very challenging because um, we'd, we'd spent a lot of time in the Olympic programme kind of working with... A, there, were, there were no real cycling, professional cycling coaches working as, walking the streets of Britain when we started. So we ended up hoovering, you know, a relatively young bunch of very open-minded and very intelligent, you know, sports grads and, you know, ologists, a lot of ologists in sport. <laughs> and everybody, everybody didn't really have a plan, you know, so everybody's really open. It was, it was part of the fun of it, you know, it's like, it like a contagious enthusiasm, really. Um, so we, we learned an awful lot in that first, sort of, um, you know, 10 years or so with the Olympic programmes. And we thought, actually, if we can get our teeth into a Premier League cycling team, which Britain never had, we can go and change the game, you know, we're like, right, off we go. And in the first year, we went at it, really went at it, and, uh, and it was a disaster. <laughs> it really was a disaster. And the reason it was a disaster, when we look back, was that we tried to do all the little clever bits, you know, all the really smart, clever bits that we learnt along the way, and we missed the fundamentals, you know, and, and, and our, you know, Bradley in particular was always the leader that year. He, fundamentally, he wasn't fit enough. But he had every other, everything else you can imagine. So it was all the bells and whistles. And I described at a time that we'd focused on the peas and not the steak, given that you haven't beef Wellington. So. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I think, I think that, was, um, that was a real... I, I couldn't, I, I, after the end of that season, I went home. I'd looted, I just outside Derby at the time. And I couldn't go out. I, I couldn't come out of my house. And I was so embarrassed. And like, not just embarrassed, like acutely, acutely, like felt humiliated, you know. And uh, so it, like a week passed, I could go around my garden and everything. I couldn't go out. And then I, another two weeks passed, okay, this is, <laughs> this is getting a bit much, you know. And, and, and in the end, you know, I spoke to Steve funny enough and I said, you know, this is a bit bizarre. I can't, I can't, I can't go out. I feel so bad. I feel so, so acutely embarrassed about, you know, that. And uh, anyway, we talked about it and sort of decided to put that into, you know, that failure into future success. So that was a um, harrowing experience, yeah. I don't like losing. <laughs> I really don't like losing, yeah. I don't cope, I don't cope with it very well. <laughs> I, 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 kid, I, don't, I, I kid you not, I think I, I, I like it so... I, I, emotionally, I deal with it so... Bad, it cuts me up so much that I think it's the avoidance of losing is what I'm about rather than sort of the, um, the I get very little enjoyment, sadly enough, from winning. I like the achievement of doing it. It's like a, it's like a test. It's like a measurement along the way because you're, like, you're on a journey to excellence. It never stops. And you take you know, a job like mine, I, I, I figure anyway that it's like getting on a treadmill that's going at a certain pace and you either jump on, you run at that pace um, and if you think, okay, I've got it now, I've learnt enough and I'll slow down, you fall off the back, you know. And so if you're going to, I don't want to fall off the back. So I, I thought early on, either I've got to get on that treadmill and go at that pace. And the day that I can't go at that pace, I've got to stop. Um, I'm going to trump you, Dave. Yeah. There's a member of this audience who's a professional rugby coach and um, he lost a game once, went home, mowed his grass. He knows who he is right now. <laughs> mowed his grass. Um, he was that fuming with losing the game that he ran over the cable <laughs> and threw the lawn mowing next door neighbour's garden <laughs> and then realised that I'm going to have to knock on his door <laughs> and ask for my lawnmower back. <laughs> he shall not be named. <laughs> Lee Radford. 
So, uh, who's next? My grass is long. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Um, you talked earlier about um, you know, switching things off and not, li not listening to newspapers, etc. Yeah. The worlds of Formula One and cycling seem really political. How mm. do you remain focused on the tasks that you've described and, and not listen to the, the politics? It, it, um, it took some time, if I'm honest. You know, if, you know the first time you... You like to see nice things written about yourself, feel pretty good about that, but then all of a sudden when, when the tide changes and you see some very unpleasant things written about yourself, that, that, it's, it's a learned skill, I think. You know, and, and that's where you've got to stop and figure out, well, what's, what, what's important and what does matter? Whose opinion am I bothered about? Am I bothered about a journalist's opinion who's, who's somehow got an angle? So they, are they really telling the truth of what was happening? Are they reporting the truth or is it they telling a story? They're telling a story, and you know, I uh, so that's where I stopped and thought, who, who, whose opinion really matters to me, you know? Um, and then I figured that actually, if you really want to dedicate yourself to this, then you need um, you need talent, um, you need to be hungry or drive or intrinsic drive. You need to be you have you've got to have those two things, and then you need to minimise distraction. Because a lot of people have got those two things, but they can't put it, quite put it together over a long enough sustained period of time to really benefit from the, you know, the accrued kind of accumulation of improvements. And so you've got to try and minimise the distraction in the media, um, social media, uh, families, um, politics are all sources of, of great distraction, particularly for a younger generation now. I mean, the stuff, when I, when I, when I see how upset and hurt some of the, the younger athletes of today get when they look at their phones immediately after poor performance. It's harrowing, you know. It really is. I, I really feel for them. And I try and educate them. <laughs> you know, but there's no point telling them to turn it off. They're not going to turn it off. Well, you won't probably mind me saying, Dave, but in the height of the doping scandal with Team Sky, your house was surrounded by media 24-7 for a week. Yeah. That was a pretty yeah, no, tough time, I, I, right? I, was sitting, I sat there with, my, uh, with Lisa and Millie, my daughter, and we were watching telly and the news popped pop, pop the news on. And there was a camera with a, a gate behind. We looked at it and, that's our fucking gate. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I went around to look outside and, and sure enough, <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole, we got, you know, big wooden gates and they were all outside, parked outside. And, and uh, they wanted a comment and I said, oh, I'm, you know, I didn't, I didn't go out, and uh, luckily by then I got a gym in the house, big basement with a big gym, so I was happy to stay in the house then. And uh, yeah, they stayed there for a, a week, and it was, it was, you know, Millie had to go to school, so the guys up and she had to go to school, and you know, that was, that was uncomfortable, it was uncomfortable, it was only a small little village, like a quintessentially British village with a pub, you know, a phone box, and the church, and cricket club, and that's it, and of course all the neighbours, you know, it's just, it's just it's horrendous experience. What you're saying there is you've got to compartmentalise it. You've yeah. got to manage the distractions. They made the, 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 the media, one of them, a, a friend of mine in the media, made a mistake or not. They said, listen, he phoned me up. He said, look, they've all, all, of the, all of the different papers, all the different journalists have got together, the sports journalists, and they decided they want your scalp. That's what they decided. And they're going to hold your feet to the fire until you wilt. And they shouldn't have told me that. He told me that. He said, all right, okay, that's all I needed to know. Because I ain't wilting. <laughs> I'm never going to wilt. And then Roy Hodgson phoned me up. Who's fantastic. Roy Hodgson's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Like my granddad. 
I shouldn't say that either, really, but he is. He is. It, like and, my granddad. And he phoned me up and he said, he said uh, Dave, I'm going to give you a bit of advice. He said, uh, you know, in our jobs, you never, doesn't matter how bad it gets, you never, ever, ever resign. Never. You wait. Then you get pushed and you make your money. Basically, that's <laughs> what I say, you know. So they, they, all the footy lads, when they get fired, is where they make the big money. So that's it's true, you know. And, and so that was quite handy. And, and actually, then the, the, one of the old ladies was next door neighbour, came round the back through the bushes with, a, with some cakes and a cup of tea and said, oh, we really feel sorry for you. Like, so, you know, you learn to deal with it, basically. Compartmentalise. And we'll take a couple more questions, but I won't tell the story of uh, Dave punching a reporter in France, on the Tour de France, <laughs> when he crossed the line. But there's, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a bit of a right hook going on there, Dave. Yeah, I'm not very popular in France. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I'm just interested in a question on, if we look on the screen here, we've got uh, Formula One, uh, we've got cycling and we've got racing. To me, that feels very different to football. You said before how if you're not better in 12 months' time, then, then that's a failure. I can understand that with, with one racing driver one uh, cyclist and one runner but in a team sport how much different is football to things you've done before and how much harder is it i think football has been interesting um insofar as you know the the manager tends to have a, a pretty influential role on the whole environment and if you've got the wrong manager in the you know and creating the wrong environment so if you look at the management overall management of a football team you've got the getting the athletes in, identifying talent, spotting talent and bringing them in in a way that, because they're assets, they're investments in the end, you know. So you talk about you've got a performance, you've got to get better every year, but then you look at what Mercedes have done recently, they were six, seven years world champions, now Red Bull have taken over, so how do you as an organisation deal with it when you start to fail? Yeah, I think when I, when I just, to, just to clarify on that point, I think what I was trying to say when I was trying, you've got to get better every year, it's like, you know, when you look at yourself and you think, me as an individual, you know, what am I doing for Dave Brailsford to come back here this, this, this time next year and how will I have improved or will I just be the same as I am now? And it's my job to make myself better and I'll find ways of improving myself, you know, and I'll go to, I'll find areas and I'm constantly looking for areas to develop and adapt. And at the minute, you know, I've been lucky insofar as I'm switched from a, a single kind of sport and had the op opportunity to become like a multi work on a multi sport platform. I don't look at different sports like football, etc. And so, you know, I'm back at the. I will never be a domain expert in football, never. And I, I am in cycling. You know, and if you watch the cycling race, I'll be watching in colour television. You'd be watching in black and white. Yeah, the same thing if we're looking at the same thing what I'm seeing what you're seeing would be different I can guarantee you but if you look at football I'm watching him you know black and white telly and, and there's a lot of people watching colour and I'll never get there I will never get there and I recognise that so but how am I going to get better there's areas in my role at the minute where I could definitely improve and I'm going to work on getting better when it comes to to uh, a team if you like and and and, and when you think about sport and teams, there's a life cycle model, really. And when you look at Mercedes or Team Sky, you know, the period of, of great success and then for whatever reason, that comes off and, and, and somebody else picks up. You know, have the, has the organisation sort of run dry, as it were, in terms of some of the thinking? Is it looking backwards? The tendency is, if you've been very successful for a long time, there's a shadow 
as cast over the future where you're constantly looking to try and get back to where you were in the past. But, you know, so the, the constant sort of curiosity, the necessity to improve. And it's a bit like, I like well, that's why I like that thing at the start, you know, um, the better you are, the harder it is to get better. Um, and, and so it does, it does need a, a recognition that what worked in the past isn't going to work in the future, for sure. Keep on doing what you did in the past. You're not going to get the same results. Ladies and gentlemen, Sir Dave Rilsford. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, mate. Are you a fan of our podcast? If so, make sure you're following us on all of our social media channels. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter by searching trans Performance. By following us, you'll have access to exclusive content, special announcements, and more. Join the T2 community today.